Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house, with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com covered. This Monday, August 7th, the Vail Dance Festival comes to you. Don't miss the live stream of Monday's Now Premieres program at 7.30 p.m. Mountain Time, 9.30 p.m. Eastern. Visit Veildance.org to enjoy an evening of world premieres from the festival's all-star casts of choreographers and dancers. You have heard them all right here on Conversations on Dance. Now catch them live from the Veil Dance Festival stage on Monday, August 7th. Link in the description of this episode for more information. This episode was recorded live at the Manor Vale Lodge. Conversations on Dance at the Vail Dance Festival is generously underwritten by the town of Vale. I'm Rebecca King-Ferraro. And I'm Michael Sean Breeden. And you're listening to Conversations on Dance. Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Conversations on Dance here at the Vail Dance Festival. My name is Michael Sean Breeden, and I am your host today. We are so lucky to be joined by two wonderful choreographers here at the festival, Kylie Kwan and Jamar Roberts. Thank you both for coming out early this morning to talk to me. <laughs> and I, I've been lucky enough to have you both on before, but we always like to kind of circle back to the beginning a little bit for anyone that might not have heard those earlier podcast episodes. And um, I think hearing a little bit about your individual performing careers and how that informs uh, the work you do as choreographers now would be a great place to start. So maybe let's go with Kylie. Yeah, of course. Um, So I grew up on Guam. Um, I (laughs) started dancing, kind of a little bit of everything. Um, And then I moved to New York when I was 16. I got into Ballet Academy East uh, and eventually found myself at Ballet X for eight seasons. Um, and I retired in August of 2020 and immediately started choreographing virtually. <laughs> and that's kind of my career in a nutshell. <laughs> and you know, you're only retired-ish. Right. We, we will get to see you dance this year. That's correct. It's crazy. <laughs> we'll, we'll get back to that in a second. But Jamar, tell us a little bit about your own um, performing career. Yeah, I am originally from Miami, Florida. <clears throat> I graduated from <laughs> New World School of the Arts. Um, right after graduation, I went to the Ailey School and then Ailey 2 and then the 
Alvin Ailey American Dance Theater, which is the main company. I was there for a big 18 years. Mm. Um, in between, I took a bit of a hiatus. I did some other things, danced with Complexions Contemporary Ballet for one season, went back to Ailey, <laughs> and stayed there for a while, and retired, um, I don't know, how old am I? Probably, I retired probably three years ago, mm -hmm. technically. Um, I still noodle around a little bit, but um, I'm just a freelance choreographer mainly now. So at, at what point in your respective dance careers did you start to create works as well, in addition to your own performing duties? Yeah, I started to make work when I was dancing with Ballet X. Um, Christine was really gracious in terms of choreography. I kind of just emailed her and I was like, I'd love to try making work. And she was like, how about in three weeks? Um, which was incredible. Um, so that's kind of when I started playing pretty much when I was dancing with Ballet X, maybe in 2016. Right. How, how about for you, Jamar? Yeah, very similarly, I um, started, I guess, taking choreography seriously and making actual pieces when I was dancing with Ailey as a dancer. I don't know what year that was. Um, I had a lot of experience before that. Um, I went to a small <clears throat> uh, dance studio in Miami um, before I moved to New York, and I had a teacher there that was just let me choreograph any and everything, and she would just let me have the studio by myself to just kind of play around. So I already had a couple, I guess some chops <laughs> like mm -hmm. under my belt, but they really weren't very refined until much later on. Right. So, I mean, both of these companies have very specific um, traditions or identities. So, like, for, for Ballet X, you know, Christine is just, um, I think she said you do it, we're doing at least six commissions, it's new, totally new ballets a year, uh, up to nine. So you're getting fed this constant diet of new, new, new. Um, I'm wondering what, how that impacted your own work as a choreographer. What were, what were you taking from these choreographers? Was there any individual um, creator that really spoke to you or you know how are you finding your own voice among so many voices that you're constantly working with yeah yeah I think I was very fortunate to work with so many different kind of choreographers that had very different processes and I think I kind of pulled from each in terms of what I wanted to create in a space while I was creating um, I think about that quite a lot in terms of the process for the dancers um, but I, you know, I have many favorites. I think Matthew Neenan is a huge, huge inspiration of mine. And I loved being in the work that he created. And I felt all of his works, I, I felt the most like myself, mm -hmm. um, which I really try to take with me when I create, try to give the dancer, um, allow them to contribute part of their identity into work that I make. Mm -hmm. You know, I... When I think of Maddie, um, it's just he's such a, a wonderful person, and I've, I've never had the chance to work with him as a dancer, but um, I know that in the studio he just creates such a comfortable environment. And um, how much does that affect the work you're doing too? Like obviously that's something you just like emanate warmth and security to your dancers as well. Like how important is that for the creative process? I, oh, so I think it really helps <laughs> to kind of create an open space. Um, I've kind of been a part of both types of creative mm -hmm. um, 
paths for, for makers, and I've been a part of the one where this is the step, which also has its benefits, right? Mm -hmm. That's when I learn the most. Um, but when the space is kind of open and you're free to make different choices, choreographer kind of asks, like, what do you want to do next? You kind of can organically find movement in a way that I could never make myself in a studio. Um, I really love trying to trace that, that path of where it can go. Um, <coughs> but yeah, I feel like the open creative studio where it feels like the roof is, is open, the sun is shining in, I feel like is my, f my favorite kind of space to create. <laughs> right, right. So Jamar, for, for Ailey, it's a different story. It's not, it's not so many voices in there. It's, uh, well, I mean, there are, are, of course, other choreographers, but you know, it's, it's like Balanchine and City Ballet or, or Martha for Graham. You have this titan kind of leading the way. How does mm -hmm. that shape your, your voice in a way that's different from maybe um, being a little bit more um, balanced in terms of, of the choreographic voices? Um, I don't know. I always saw myself as a bit of an anomaly in the company. I think, um, I don't know why, <laughs> but it just, it, it's always felt that way to me. Um, oftentimes being in the studio and like having, being exposed to so many different choreographers and the rep being so large, um, one of my biggest takeaways was always craft. Like I'm really into uh, trying to figure out how things are made. Um, and um, that's all. That's all I got <laughs> for that answer. Hold on, let me see if there's any more in there. Well, well, don't worry. I'm here all day. We'll pull it up. <laughs> okay, cool. No, I, I think actually this is a good time. You're, we're already talking about like environment and the creative process. So maybe we can delve into what that means for each of you individually. Um, you know, something I think that's interesting about choreography is that um, for basically any other art, you don't need humans, <laughs> you know? A violin isn't gonna talk back to you. You know, your paints aren't gonna get tired. Um, so what are, I guess, like pros and cons of that? Like, what, what's it like needing um, your materials to be human? Jamar. <laughs> <laughs> Well, <clears throat> or maybe, you know, something that kind of goes hand in hand with this is how much are you relying on the other people? Like, I know a lot of choreographers will do some phrases on their own bodies before, especially since you were both yeah. very distinguished dancers. Um, is that something you still like to do? Or when you come in, is it just gonna, is it more based on like I was saying, the materials you have, the people that are going to be in your work that yeah, time. Yeah, for me, I think it's it's both. Um, there's a bunch of research that I do before I go in and make the work, um, and a lot of that research is on my own body and within my own you know mind and thinking process. Um, and then once I get there, it's like I want to keep that and I want to hold on to that, but I also have to take advantage of the energies and the artists that are in the room and not sort of hold so tightly onto what I've constructed mm -hmm. outside of the room and sort of let the dancers kind of color and shape the rest of the work. So it's very collaborative in that way, I think. Right. How about for you, Yeah, very, very similar to Jamar. I, you know, I, I study the music like backwards and forwards and I try to figure out what it feels like on my body. I think that's really important um, 
to physically express what I think it feels like, if that makes sense. Um, but, you know, my body has limitations, and I think especially working with these insanely talented ballet dancers who I, you know, if I could do 1% of what they can do, it would be a, a successful day. Um, but I feel like getting into the studio and, 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 and get, they contribute so much, right. so much mm -hmm. to the work. So I have an idea and I have, I understand the music and I translate what I want the music to feel like and then they do the rest. I try to follow what their bodies naturally lean in towards. Right. L let's talk about music for a second and, and what your relationship to it is as a choreographer. Like, what do you find to be danceable music? Are there certain, like, what, what are we drawn to? Are there certain things that you would never want to choreograph to? I mean, Jamar, so for instance, you're using Philip Glass on Monday, mm -hmm. and then the work you did at City Ballet was this wildly jazzy, very different beast. So yeah. obviously you have a range of musical tastes but yeah. what, what defines danceable music for you? I think for me, it's completely open. It can be a kid banging on a table with a fork, or it can be <laughs> like a huge, beautiful orchestration. Yeah. Um, because I think um, for me, it's, it's, it's a couple different parts, but there's the conceptual side, and then there's the, the side that helps color the concept. Do you know what I mean? So it just depends on what I'm making the dance about and what it is that I want to say. And I think after that, I sort of find music that helps push that narrative along. Right. Kylie, I think you have a, a commissioned uh, piece of music, right, this I year? I do. So that's, it's a whole other thing. Um, can you talk about that? Like how much would this work, let's say? Um, back and forth is there? Or is it just kind of, here's, here's what you got and make it work? <laughs> yeah. yeah, so, um, well, I guess, so this year, the composer of the trio that I'm working on is, um, his name is Gabriel Kahane, and he made a um, original composition for Brooklyn Rider to play. Um, and I think the beautiful part of it is he's very close with Brooklyn Rider, and he knows each musician quite well. So cr he created a work kind of knowing their strengths and who they are as people, which I thought was really beautiful. Um, so in this case, I had like the MIDI version of the track pretty early on, um, and I kind of started this. It's a, it's a difficult score for me. Um, there are parts of really beautiful melody, and then he dives into this deepness and then kind of goes back and forth between the two. Um, so this one wasn't too much of a collaborative process. However, I have been on the phone with Gabe quite a lot. Um, asking him how he hears the rhythm in the music. Right. And also, I spoke to him a lot about his intention behind it um, before I started creating the work to see kind of what he was thinking. So it's been collaborative in a different sense. Right. Um, last year when I did the collaboration with Caroline Shaw, it was very collaborative, which was cool. Right. Um, but in this case, it was nice because I had the music beforehand. So it's like, mm. uh, so it's... There's pros and cons to both sides, I think. Have, have either of you ever asked a composer to alter something dramatically or, or cut entirely? I oh, haven't, me. no. <laughs> so, see, okay, so these are, these are who we want to work with if we're writing music. Because <laughs> I've heard some stories about others, but we won't, we won't bring up tawdry gossip on a Saturday <laughs> morning. Um, but what's your... Okay, so we, we, we talked, you mentioned concept. I mean, how does that come in? Like, what's the order of things? Do we get a piece of music and then a concept comes to your mind? Or, you know, when we're, when we're thinking longer term for, for our works, like, how, what's the, the process 
that you typically go through from seed of an idea of what you want to do to stage? Let me start with Jamar. Yeah, um, I get this question a lot. Um, it's different every time. Okay. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, uh, oftentimes I start with like uh, writing, just kind of like a, a free write of what, just dumping out any content you know that's in my mind, like putting it onto paper. Um, so sometimes it starts that way, sometimes it does start with the music, but um, for me, I think as a dance maker, I'm really good with vocabulary. I can throw out tons of steps all day, no problem, but my weakness, or I would say the area that I wish I were stronger in is building concepts and like ideas and narratives, and so for me, lately, I've been kind of starting with those places just mm -hmm. so that I have the most time with them and I can kind of work on it as much as I can. So it's been like concept for me right. um, now, cool. these days. <laughs> um, let's see. I guess in, I feel like some days the steps flow and sometimes they don't, to be completely honest. I feel like, you know, I, th I think it's, I'm still, I, f I feel like I have so many more years of creating and trying to figure out and, 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 and perfect, not perfect, that's the wrong word, hone the craft and, mm -hmm. and figure it out. Um, but I feel, you know, I get the music, I find great music that I want to make dances to, and then I go for a really long walk and I listen mm -hmm. on repeat over and over and over and over. And then when I get tired, one more time, <laughs> over and over again. Um, and I try to digest it that way. I feel like that time, once I understand the DNA of the music, it helps me make steps faster and more organically, if that mm. makes sense. Um, yeah, I've, I've been really pushing, trying to find emotional tones on all types of music that I've been using, you know. Um, I've been trying to work out creating to classical music quite a lot, and um, that's what I've been working on lately, mm -hmm. <laughs> dances to classical music. So you, you both already talked about ways that you're pushing yourself to grow as a choreographer, but something else that I think about a lot is when we're dancing, you have constant feedback, you know, near constant <laughs> feedback, <laughs> of, you know, from your coach or from a stager or from a choreographer or a teacher, it's just, or from a peer. But as a choreographer, it, it's a little more solitary pursuit do you ever seek out advice, or is there um, somewhere a place you feel comfortable getting feedback that um, maybe is not so commonplace in your field? Um, this is something I always think about. I feel like there should be a support group or a hotline or something <laughs> for choreographers. <laughs> <laughs> because it's so... Um, the industry kind of moves so fast, and you know, it's it's really hard to sort of even sometimes if you're on the same program with another choreographer, it's just kind of like ships in the night. You're just like, hey, yeah. you see you after the show, but um, it's hard work. <laughs> and um, what do I do? I I don't know. Like I guess I'm pretty self-aware in a sense. Um, it's sort of like I know what I'm aiming for, so I always know when I'm off. Mm -hmm. um, and depending on the resources that I have, one of the main resource being time, I can kind of gauge, okay, I'm in this crunchy spot, but I only have two days left, what do I do? Um, this becomes really stressful, <laughs> but you, you have to make a decision. Um, 
And sometimes I make the wrong decision, and I just <laughs> go anyway, and I just kind of like deal with that within my own self. And I, um, but there isn't really one <laughs> person that I go to. Um, a lot of people say that like the the artist life is like a really lonely life, and I've definitely experienced that because there are situations like the one I just described where you're just in, you're just your back is against the wall in mm -hmm. a sense, and if you don't have a lot of other peers like chore that choreograph, then you can't really have a conversation. You just kind of have to like sit with it and figure out how to not be in that situation again. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that process can be, it can take a long time. It can be short, but um, for me, it's, it's just always really difficult. But I think with time, it just kind of goes away and you kind of figure out, you know, where it went wrong or where it went right, mm -hmm. but um, it sucks. <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's 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 brutal mm -hmm. and yeah. i feel like the support group i feel like is key yeah you should it's, make one yeah it's, you know especially here in Vail, like there's so many works being made and i haven't seen anyone's <laughs> work i haven't seen anybody i don't know <laughs> you know um it the process is brutal but it's really beautiful at the same time yeah i see i, I was going to ask i think that you know Vail is probably um, not unique entirely, but it, it is a, a place, I mean, how many premieres are on Monday? I think nine, you know, so you have nine different choreographers creating work, and so you are in a situation where you are actually around peers, um, your contemporaries, but I guess it's not much of a support group after all, because you're just going back to the hotel room and figuring yeah. out your counts for tomorrow, or you like... You gotta <laughs> have a break as well. Yeah. So. Decompress, yeah, I, I gave Kyle a hug. <laughs> that was, I saw Kyle That's for it. like three oh, yeah, minutes. I'm, I'm hugging everybody. Yeah. All the time. <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. You know, you know what I like to do? I like to actually hang out with my family. That helps me. Um, and do something completely not process related. Right. That space helps. Um, I have a daughter and I just stare at her and hold her for a little bit. <laughs> um, but I think, you know, chatting with my sister and talking about something completely not dance related, I think that like breath lets me dive back in again so I be can become obsessed. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Yeah. yeah. You know something else that... Um, entirely different from what we experienced as dancers. You know, when you're a dancer, you're attached to a company and you have the rep picked for you and you know that the work is there. But for being a freelance choreographer, um, is there an element of selling yourself that you have to do to, in order to achieve new commissions? 
which again is usually like so against the grain of a dancer. There's nothing more disturbing than having to, to be like, I'm good at this thing, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, so what's, <laughs> what's that component like for you guys? Well, these days it feels like there's an element of uh, selling yourself that you should do. Mm-hmm. Somehow the, this should feels very imposing and very like prevalent. I'm terrible at it. Um, I, I just like to say I let the work speak for itself, but um, it doesn't feel like that's enough mm-hmm. these days sometimes, like with the advent of social media and all these things. But um, it just seems like I just don't have that entrepreneurial spirit. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I'm okay with that. Um, and sometimes I get pressure from other people saying, oh, you should, you know, be choreographing for the VMAs, this kind of thing. Like, put yourself <laughs> out there. And uh, it's just not my, it's not my bag. And that's okay. But I do it in my own way. You're doing just fine. <laughs> Thank <Yeah>. you. <laughs> Killing it, Jamar. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. Social media is really tough. I feel like I'm, in terms of the age, right between. And I love my personal life too. You know, <laughs> I think I want to keep it for myself. Can't give it all away to the exactly. <laughs> to the gram. Yeah. <laughs> You know, my my personal life is so boring, too. So, um, you know, I think I try my best to create work that I love and to create processes that the dancers enjoy. And I hope that's enough. <laughs> you know, I be as kind and warm as possible. And fingers crossed it works out. <laughs> yeah, creating work that you love. I think that's... Because that's, when you make something that you love, you feel more compelled to share. Um, so maybe that's an honest way <laughs> of self-promotion. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about Vale some. Uh, when, what was the first year each one of you came to the festival and what were those circumstances? Oh, I think I, the first year was 2014. I think so, with Ballet X. Mm-hmm. Um, First time coming here, and we did a new work by Matthew Neenan, and it was a really chill Vale year, Vale summer, where I think we just did like three things, and I just remember taking lots of naps to try to adjust to the altitude. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but that was the first experience, and I was like, unbelievable. I just the whole time I think I was pretty shocked. I was like, what are we doing here? This is the, the best dancers on the planet. <laughs> um, it was pretty inspiring. How about for you, Jamar? I don't remember the year, but it was definitely <clears throat> like in my early career dancing with Ailey. Um, we were here, you know, doing parts of Revelations and some other small uh, solos and duos from the rep. And I just remember uh, being really cold um, and just dancing Center Man with my shirt off, and it was cold Oof. and it was wet. Um, it was exhilarating because I always like dancing outside, especially if the piece has like a run in it and you can like feel the like <laughs> the wind know <laughs> your yeah. body. Um, but it was just like a, a whirlwind for me. I didn't. It was like I was in some type of uh, dance wonderland that I couldn't quite understand in the moment. And then shortly after, you know, we left. So yeah, it's a little bit of a different experience creating than dancing yeah. here. <laughs> How have we found that to be? You don't have to worry about dancing in you know like upper 40s temps shirtless anymore. So. <laughs> right, yeah, it's, it's tough to dance here. 
it's amazing. I feel like it's super mental because you know it's going to be hard <laughs> no matter what. It's going to be hard. And I, d I do remember seeing more Dancer's Breath that first year. Into the <laughs> now it's much warmer. Now it's much warmer. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, dancing here is... It's no joke, really. T but you come down to sea level and you feel like a superhero for like 24 hours. That's I'm really hard. excited for that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> really energetic. Yeah. So what are we working on this year at the Real Dance Festival? Kylie already mentioned that you will be dancing. You, I got to see a run-through, the first run-through, I believe, of Justin Peck's new work, yeah. which I just loved. How's that been for you? Oh, my gosh. I'm still in shock that I'm in that piece with those glorious dancers and with Justin. Um, it's been incredible. You know, I, as I said, I, I retired from dancing full-time in 2020, so the opportunity to, to watch Justin's process um, has been such a gift. I think he's just incredibly talented um, in terms of him seeing the micro and the macro, like, with such ease back and forth. He has a whole vision and then sees details very clearly. Um, but yeah, never in my life. I, I, I thank you, Damien and Heather. <laughs> um, but it's been nice to dance again, to move in space. Yeah. yeah. How does that inspire your own work? I mean, I mean, I remember Justin saying that, t telling me once that he was never going to not dance because it's he couldn't imagine um, inspiration coming ju just mentally, like you want to feel it on your own body still. So how does that, like you're in this piece, how does that go back um, and in some way inform what you're doing while you're creating still? Yeah, you know, I think it's, it's just another dose of perspective. Um, it's nice to work with Justin and then go back to the studio and then dive in and become mm -hmm. obsessed again with my piece. Um, I just think it's, it's, it's like a, a breath of fresh air, you know, mm -hmm. to focus on it, to be in a studio and just focus on my own body. Um, it's nice to go back and forth. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So what, what's uh, your new piece uh, looking like this year? Who are you working with, dancer-wise? What's the music? Oh, yeah. we, we, we talked about the music. We're there. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> so yeah. Who, who will we be seeing in your, in your ballet? Um, Calvin, Unity, and Olivia Bell. It's a trio. Um, and they're really, really beautiful. I, I always wish I had more time. <laughs> Every time, like, just a little bit more time to yeah. just hang out and play. Um, but you know the great thing about Vale is it's so fresh, and, and there's something very special about that being mm. performed in a place where it's not going to peak too early, and it's almost like what's going to happen, <laughs> you know, which is um, makes it very exciting. <laughs> okay, that's an interesting idea that I've heard a little bit about from other choreographers that the peaking too early. Um, I've been a part of processes too where I'm assisting a choreographer where they're so nervous that everything is going so well. It's like, we have three weeks, and why am I going so fast? And then, <laughs> and now it's done, and I have to look at it for the next two weeks, and oh God, like what, like has that, is that something that ever happens to you guys? Or what, where do you feel like you fall on that spectrum in terms of like getting it done quickly or last minute? Oh, um, I, it seems like there's like about, there's an arc that happens where I start and it's like great because everything I've prepared, mm -hmm. I bring into the beginning of the process and it's flowing and then everything turns into a disaster like halfway <laughs> through. And I, I think I'm not gonna have enough time. I think like everything I made is crap. The dancers are like working their butts off and I'm like, I see you, I feel you, but everything's not working. <laughs> um, and then at some point at the, at the 11th hour, like the last minute, 
it just like appears. Right. And it's like I know that's gonna happen every time, but every time I'm always surprised that like here I am again. Like <laughs> So what point are we at for your, your Monday premiere? <laughs> oh, I've gone through all of okay, that. Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> smooth sailing. <laughs> Uh, can we talk a little bit about the, the ballet we'll be seeing on Monday? Um, Monday is the 5th? 7th. The 7th. That's, <laughs> Today that's, is that's, the 5th. That's you ballet have, You have a work coming cool. tonight as well, right? <laughs> is is yeah. tonight's also a premiere? or is something... uh, Tonight's a premiere, but it was also something that um, uh, Damien and Heather just kind of said, would you like to do this? It was like a last minute right. thing. It kind of happened a couple days before. Um, I got here as a trio of three women. It's Aji, um, India, and Olivia. Did, Bell. We, did, we, did we hear Aji's name just elicit gasps? <laughs> I think that I, anyone that was in the room last night saw Aji do White Swan, and it's just White Swan yeah. Potata. It was so bonkers. So yeah. I think we're all chomping at the bit to get more Aji in our lives. Quite, quite so. special. <laughs> yeah. um, and the music is it's sang by Devonte, Devon, Devon Tynes. Mm-hmm. Um, it's called, I should be able to just pull this out easier, Songs to the Dark Virgin. It was a poem written by Langston Hughes and I guess composed by um, female African-American composer Florence Price. Um, it's really short, it's really beautiful. Working with them was um, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, I've never did a, a trio of women, I've never worked with three women in a room like that. So I don't know, it was really, Really awesome, and we all knew that we had to wrap this thing up. So like this <laughs> feeling of like, yeah, like it, it was really uh, collaboratory, I mm-hmm. suppose. Um, but on what's that day? Monday, August Monday. <laughs> um, I made a work on Ballet X about uh, I would say like a little bit over a month ago. This is my second piece that I've made on them for the Vale Festival. The last one was in twenty twenty one. What is this piece? It is music by Philip Glass. He made a, an album called Annunciation, and I just kind of took one of the first movements of that, um, played by Brooklyn Writer, and made this piece called Eros and Psyche. It's sort of inspired by those two Greek gods, and one, is, one was the god of love, the other one is, uh, was the personification of the soul or the spirit or the mind, and I just kind of like, took those two characteristics and tried to make a dance about it, about the feeling of like, like body and like heart and soul coming together. It's like, we all know what that feels like. Right. <laughs> <laughs> well, as usual, Now Premieres is gonna be a real highlight of the festival. I know yeah. all of us are super psyched to see it. Um, but we have, I think, a little bit of time to open the floor to audience questions. And per usual, we will be passing around the mic. <laughs> Anyone? Right here. What I, what I heard earlier is that uh, music, inf- and this is great to understand, that music informs this, I believe, music informs the story that you each choose to tell through your work. But then you mentioned you hear all these words come and phrases come out and you put them on paper and then you look for music. So is it a sometimes one way and sometimes the other way, or is it just different for each choreographer, or would you say most choreographers, it's a 50-50 kind of thing? Definitely different for each choreographer. For me, it's, it's, 
It, it, it depends. Uh, sometimes it's music first, sometimes it's concept first. Um, sometimes it's an image uh, or a, a piece of fabric that I saw in a fabric store and I just start swinging around and it creates you know, some ideas in my mind and then you know, that turns into a piece, but mm -hmm. it's different every time. Yeah, you know, I think for me, most of the time it's music first, but um, I, I choreographed a piece for Ballet X called Love Letter that's going to be performed at the Villar tomorrow night. And um, I knew that was a piece that was going to be inspired by Guam and the culture that I grew up in. And when I found out about that commission, I made a, I want to say like an eight hour playlist of songs that inspired me from home, you know? So I think it goes either way. I think also inspiration can really come from anything. Mm -hmm. It's crazy when it falls and you just never know when it happens. So I guess both. <laughs> I'm just thinking of uh, Justin said that verbatim yesterday, kind of in a jokey way, because he was saying something. What, 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 was, what was the analogy or the metaphor? It was something about a melon. Oh, yeah, the melon that they were serving at dinner the other yeah, day, right? Cutting like, a melon in half? Inspiration can, be any, can, can come from anything, can be from anywhere. Um, so I'm wondering, like you mentioned a piece of fabric. I, I'd love to maybe just know like a couple other things that like we might not imagine to be inspiring. So, what's something that's made it into your piece that is specifically, I don't know, pedestrian or strange or um, unexpected? Have, there's this one uh, comedian on Instagram. She's uh, a young woman, but she dresses up like an old woman, mm -hmm. and she does like funny dances and makes jokes and stuff. And I, she did a dance once that I... I don't know, I put it into a piece, but I had no <laughs> plans on doing it. And I don't even think the dancers know now to this day. And there's also, um, I use this image a lot um, if I'm trying to like get a, a move to be less sharp or less aggressive or speak a little bit or, or more sensual. And I always say like, um, imagine that you have like a cappuccino or like a, a, a coffee drink that has the foam on the mm -hmm. top and you put the sugar on top of the foam and like the way that the sugar like sinks into the foam like that. That one I love and it always, it always works every time. <laughs> that's great. Oh, well, that's good. Right? Feel it? Very, very, absolutely. Absolute, I was like. <laughs> yeah, use it. You're free to use it anytime you want. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's funny what makes it into works. Sometimes you're just having a conversation and it's just circumstantial, and you're like, oh. So let's say, I was doing a piece for Sacramento Ballet in the spring, and one of my very good friends, Colby Damon, um, works for Sacramento Ballet now, and we're just kind of chatting. And he's a big fan of Boys to Men, can like sing the whole album, like Taste. front to back. <laughs> um, so one of the sections was like an all men's section, and it was like very much Boys to Men, that just like naturally like creeped into the... <laughs> to the choreo. Um, yeah, you know, I think the more normal things that creep into the work, I feel like the more human it is, the more present it is. Um, but man, that cappuccino one is really good. <laughs> it's yours. Uh, anyone else? With, who's got the mic? Yeah. Um, you guys are great. Um, I've seen both of your works many times. Are you, um, how are you impacted or ignore reviews? Mm. Very good question. Oh. I've had a lot of them. <laughs> <laughs> it's like first they were great and then they got not as great. Um, and 
when the shift happened, I don't know. I think it was a, a really uh, good reality check for me. It was a really uh, humbling moment. I used to pay attention to them because they were good. Why wouldn't I? <laughs> um, <laughs> but now um, I've, I've sort of let it go. I, I think that there's a certain amount of... Um, once again, like self-awareness, like there's a certain amount of like, you kind of have to believe in yourself and what it is that you're doing um, in a very serious way so that no matter what anyone says, you kind of know, you know, your tunnel vision, like you're, you're extremely focused on like what it is that you're wanting to put out into the world. And so I kind of like, uh, kind of let reviews go. I don't do them anymore. Um, unless they have nice photos. And I was just like, somehow try to keep the photo and then throw the rest away. <laughs> I love that. Um, you know, I think, I think choreographing is such like a deeply personal experience. I think it's more personal than dancing or like reveals more than dancing sometimes. Um, I haven't been reviewed too much, but I try not to read it because I feel... It's basically like I break off a piece of my heart and like put it on display for a bit. <laughs> um, so I, I try not to read reviews. Yeah, I think I'm gonna make a dance and if you don't like it, I'm sorry. And if you like it, great, you know? <laughs> I, I, think, I think that's a healthy perspective. Yeah, I, I read it when someone says, did you see that review? And then I'll read it. Otherwise, I'm not looking for them. <laughs> right. Yeah, you know, critique, being critiqued is, is tough. Being critiqued on something that you've made out of nothing is, is, is hard. <laughs> it's hard. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> Next question. Great. Um, Jamar, I'd like to ask you, um, personally, uh, John Lewis is one of my heroes, mm. and I know that you choreographed a tribute to him at the uh, March on Washington Film Festival. Could you talk a little bit not only about what went into the chore uh, the concept in your choreography, but also emotionally, what it was like to do that? Um, well, um, first of all, I'm glad that you saw that that little film that I made. That's really I didn't I didn't know how many people saw it, but um, it was really special to make, and I was really glad that I got the invitation to make it. Um, and I wish that I had been able to dance for him when he was still alive, because that was the original intention. Um. It's really a strange thing when you're making a film and film editing because you make it in pieces and you don't really see the whole thing play out until you know it's all it's all finished. But I really saw him, uh, and I'm sure many do, like as a as a hero. Um, and so I really wanted to, within that piece, show the trajectory of like a person sort of like being. Uh, on the ground is really how I started in the film, but like just having to like push through so so much adversity and then sort of making it to the top. And so by the end of that film, I just really wanted to like show this like really graceful hero, you know, not the one that kind of like flies around, but the one that has like this this real sort of like dignity and like pride and like knows everything that came before that got him to where he is there. Um, where he is now. Um, so yeah, thank you. <laughs> uh, great. 
So I, I first have a, a suggestion from what I've been hearing, which is hopefully next year with all of the choreographers that come to the festival that there's a room set aside and a time set aside, <laughs> maybe one hour out of all the craziness where the choreographers can sit in a room together and talk about their processes and maybe exchange contact information so they have a <laughs> network. <laughs> I think that's a really great idea, but I think for like the nothing will be said. <laughs> Only because we're so used to dealing with, you know, dealing with it in our own ways. And so um, e either it will be like, I don't know, I imagine it will be like a really sort of like quiet environment, <laughs> or it'll just be like a mess. It's like tears and dancing. <laughs> and then yeah, I but I think they could both work. I do have one question, yeah. <laughs> and uh, it might be a naive question, but I know that uh, freelance dancers um, may have agents. Um, could choreographers have agents? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I don't. So it is possible. I don't have mm -hmm. one, but yes, it's most choreographers have an agent. I feel like I didn't have one for a very long time. Only recently got one, um, and that's only because she was a. A friend of mine that just happened to start, you okay. know, representing artists. But um, I, I think that they are it's a bit of a it's a niche, so they can be hard to find, especially if you if the work you want to make is not like commercial, like Nikes and stuff like that. Those are mm. those are they have huge agencies for those. But the other ones I think are a bit hard to find, and sometimes they find you. Um, but yes, they do exist. But going back to the choreography, I feel like if we could share one meal in Vail together, I think that would be fun. I agree. But I can see the tears and the dance and the. I'm <laughs> just <laughs> dramatic up here in my brain. But um, <laughs> I think the spectrum of what could happen in that room is it's very it's large. large. It's large. <laughs> <laughs> At least exchange information. Yeah. So let's go to the next question. Just to expand on this theme um, and thinking about the comparison to writers. You talked about the lack of a critique group when you're building a piece, and then reviews at the other end. And are there the equivalent of editors? Um, are there, you know, like when you're doing a work like for Vale, do you know, people like Damien and Heather say, this is working, this isn't working, or do they just leave it to you? Do you get feedback from the dancers when they're done? Can you, you tell how they responded to the piece? And do you sense how the audience responds? There's, they're, many stages between the beginning and the review. And so I'm just kind of how you process that feedback. And even if, if people don't seem to be responding, you still feel, well, I did what I wanted to do, and I'm satisfied with it. Yeah, I think here in Vail, it's it's very, very fast process. I feel like by the time we see the works, I think I don't see everyone's work until maybe the day of when we're kind of teching in the theater. Um, but in terms of Feedback, ah, let's see. Sometimes the dancers, it's tough because they're executing the steps, so they don't have the, you know, they're doing it, so it's hard for them to say, they can tell me what it feels like, which is helpful, because sometimes it's too much, mm -hmm. right? When they're like, <laughs> you know, then you know, okay, maybe we simplify a little bit, but in terms of like the arc of the piece, um, I think it's hard for them to feel it unless they've been doing it for a, a long period of time. Um, I've never had an editor for my work, but I feel like that would be really helpful. <laughs> um, yeah. I used to have one friend, <clears throat> I called her my editor, but 
she was she was just a dancer that I trusted to um, look at my work as an outsider. Um, she was always really great. She was just a friend that I would talk to, but she moved to Canada, and we don't have as many conversations <laughs> anymore. But I think for uh, choreographers that make like larger scale works, there's dramaturgs that kind of right. sit with them. But I haven't had to use one yet. I'd be interested. I'd love to. Yeah, I had uh, I did a work for the New York Choreographic Institute, and that was the first and only time I got to work with a dramaturg. Mm. Um, and it was very cool to have perspective from a person that I've that has never seen my work. It's completely fresh. She has a completely fresh pair of eyes, and I thought that was extremely helpful um, because I didn't have an emotional attachment to her. I think that's really important. Um, kind of this like blank slate, you know, because that's what I wish as a choreographer. I wish I could just put on a new set of eyes and start the day never seeing it before to see what how I feel about it. Um, but yeah, I think the dramaturg is, is pretty amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think we have time for one or two more. So, Kylie, uh, we saw you last year at the piece that you did um, with uh, Carolyn and the tent. So I remember the tent yesterday, last year when it was really hot. Oh yeah, and, the and open tent with the fans. Yeah, yeah, the open tent with the fans. And, but we came and watched, and, and I have to say, even though it was really hot and everybody was sweating, we really I enjoyed the process, in the some sense, in the sense that I like coming to listen to Michael talk about you know conversations on dance because I think I've watched the dances that we see better because I've had the background of a little bit of what the whole process is. And what I really missed in that thing last year, and I keep I asked Damien if he could do it this year or something like it, was to have you talk first about the piece that you're working on and, and tell us the story of how you get to that place. And then go watch you work a little bit with the dancers. Right. Um, and I tried to sell that to Damien. Uh, he didn't buy it at least this year. <laughs> Maybe I, next I'm year. I'm pushing it again, because I really think this would be really powerful for those of us nerdy novices who'd like to understand more about what goes into the thing that we finally see at the end of this day. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, that's why I love Up Close. I think the open rehearsals, that's my favorite part to watch as an audience member. I love that back and forth. I can absolutely see um, what you mean. I understand, right? Like you want to build this foundation so you have an idea of what you're getting prepared for. But sometimes when you watch a dance, like for this piece that I'm making this year, I think I want you to kind of go in, know exactly. <laughs> I think it depends on the work. Sometimes some knowledge is nice, and sometimes you just want to go in, just take a walk into a theater and kind of experience it. Mm -hmm. But I'll, I'll try to put in a, a good word and see if we <laughs> Maybe another open tent. <laughs> uh, any last? We can get two more. We can do two. Yeah. Bruce, go ahead. <laughs> um, <coughs> Michael and Rebecca are fond of using a question or word at one time of what's your dream project. And then they we say, dropped that. Yeah, let's no bring limits. It back. Yeah. No <laughs> limits. As much money as you want, as much time as you want. And kind of, Jamar, you, you know, you talking about time, I would think maybe if somebody said to you, you got 50 dancers in six months, that that would be terrifying. Yeah, but what's, too many dancers. What's sort of the, what's the largest thing you'd like to do? I don't know. I, I, you know, I come from really humble beginnings, and I, I actually find it really struggled. I struggled to, to dream big just because I started making dance so small in such a small way. Um, 
I don't know why I'm thinking of outer space. Space ballet? Is that, that makes no sense. No. If it, if it came <laughs> to you, trust it. Right, Jamar wants one dancer in 25 minutes. <laughs> 25 minutes solo. Jamar's meditation on space. I love it. Cool, that was a terrible answer. I don't Great have question. a question. I just wanted to um, express gratitude to both of you. I've been dancing since I was two, not professionally. And to hear you share about those pinch points and the, those moments of breaking of where, you know, this is just so hard for those of us who get to see you either dance or dancers dance um, on behalf of you is such a gift every year. So please know that when you hit that wall, that there are those of us who still get to share that gift no matter how it turns out. And for that, I just want to thank both of you. What a beautiful way to end it. Thank you, thank you so much thank for that. Yeah. And thanks, Jamar and Kylie, for joining us. So tonight we'll see Jamar's work, tomorrow we'll see Kylie's, and then Monday we'll see both of them, and we'll see Kylie dance. So come every single time. <laughs> thanks, <laughs> thank Michael. you all so much. Thank you. Conversations on Dance is part of the ACAST Creator Network. For more information, even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Need new glasses or want a fresh new style? Warby Parker has you covered. Glasses start at just 95 bucks, including anti-reflective, scratch-resistant prescription lenses that block 100% of UV rays. Every frame's designed in-house with a huge selection of styles for every face shape. And with Warby Parker's free home try-on program, you can order five pairs to try at home for free. Shipping is free both ways, too. Go to warbyparker.com slash covered to try five pairs of frames at home for free. Warbyparker.com slash covered. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Information, visit conversationsondancepod.com.